from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents interviews of ordinary people who choose the Baha'i faith as a way of life. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today, I'm playing an interview by Susan Auday former television news anchor at the NBC affiliate WIF in Columbia, South Carolina, with a Baha'i author, Heather Carden, who wrote the book Partners in Spirit, What Couples Say About Marriages That Work. This is a rebroadcast of the radio program Baha'i Bookshelf, produced by the Baha'i radio station WLGI in Hemingway, South Carolina. Here is Susan Auday interviewing Heather Carden. We often hear the discouraging statistic that 50% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. But if we look at that from the optimistic point of view, we would also point out that 50% of marriages are successful. Continuing with that theme on Baha'i Bookshelf, we're talking with Heather Cardin, author of a new book entitled Partners in Spirit, What Couples Say About Marriages That Work. So whether you hope to get married, are married, or were married, this book will be of interest. Heather is joining us from her home in Gatineau, Quebec. Heather, let's jump right in. What made you want to write Partners in Spirit? I had two reasons, really. One was that I have parents who've now been happily married for 52 years, and they had set me a wonderful role model. And I have three children, and the society in which they live kind of takes divorce for granted. And I'm a teacher by profession, and I started thinking about the role of positive modeling, and I thought, you know, my kids have their grandma and their grandpa, but there's a lot of people out there who who may not have an opportunity to see or hear about success in marriages, and they could possibly get pretty down on the institution. So I began talking to people about their marriages, asking questions, and discovered that there were some wonderful success stories. We're talking with Heather Cardan about her book, Partners in Spirit, What Couples Say About Marriages That Work. I should point out that Heather received a master's degree in English from Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. Before that, she taught high school for nearly 20 years, including four at Maxwell International Baha'i School on Vancouver Island. She lives with her husband and children in Gatineau, Quebec. Um, Heather, in your book, you quote a key beloved figure in the Baha'i faith, Abdul Baha, who wrote... Marriage among the mass of people is a physical bond, and this union can only be temporary since it is foredoomed to a physical separation at the close. Um, Along the theme you were just talking about, does our society need to completely rethink the way most of us look at the role of marriage in our lives? Has it become too easy? Uh, 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 Well, I think so. Uh, It's... um I think I'd have to offer you a quotation in response, probably, from the same figure. I studied the Baha'i teachings, and one of the passages that Abdu'l-Baha 
says, it's one of my favorites on the subject of love, he says, each sees in the other the beauty of God reflected in the soul, and finding this point of similarity, they are attracted to one another in love. And I really started thinking about what does that mean, because I think our societal idea of love gets a little bit confused because we're getting all kinds of different definitions, whether through media or whether through uh, pop romance or whatever. So I thought if we really think about the idea of looking towards the spirit or the soul of another person and learning to see that and love that, it shifts our focus towards the spiritual, which is, I think, from the Baha'i teachings, an eternal bond. So I thought it was really helpful guidance for people who wanted to understand love in a broader context. And, of course, marriage is one of the manifestations of that. That's an interesting way to look at it and probably one that more of us need to do. Tell us a bit about the people you interviewed. Well, you know, I started relatively close to home, and then it was interesting as I... You know, the Internet's a marvelous thing. You send out a little, hello, I'm interested in marriage question, and the next thing I knew, I was getting answers from around the world. And um, I was just, I guess, delighted by the power of story. And Some of the people were known to me, although casually, some I don't know at all, have never met and probably never will, but they had stories of um, real difficulties and challenges that I thought were interesting because so often in our society, I think we have a tendency to look at something that's a little difficult and kind of pack it in and just say, you know, this is not making me happy. But the shift uh, that I was hearing in these stories from people around the world was that they didn't ask themselves the question, is this making me happy? They seemed to be asking themselves the question, how can our relationship develop and um, improve so that we can offer something more uh, positive to the people around us? And I, I really liked the shift of thought so individual stories um, you'll read in the book about people who have had children pass away. That, those were hard to hear, quite frankly, mm-hmm. because it's so painful. But how they'd overcome and deve- dealt with their own pain about these things. Uh, one couple are struggling still with um, the consequences of HIV/AIDS in their family. Other people had lost. Um, previous marriages and were starting again, and it, but it you know, had been much more successful and had gained wisdoms from that. So it was really, uh, each couple, as the stories came in, made me realize I was onto something in terms of, oh, experience is the best teacher, and when you commit yourselves, really that was the major thing I heard from people, was that they, in their own minds, had made this commitment, and it was a serious commitment, so that when things got difficult, and almost all the couples said that it did, they found strategies to work things out, often Mm -hmm. through spiritual belief, but not always. Some of them were very, very practical ways of dealing with one another. And one of the things that um, that leads to is it seemed like a lot of these couples engaged in in the process of consultation to 
to get through, you know, daily life problems or things they were facing. Um, is that different from just, you know, talking about your problems? I think there are significant differences in the Baha'i concept of conversation from what you and I might think of in terms of conversation. Uh, one of the, the things that's most important in consultation that I really like is the idea that once an idea is put out on the table between the people who are consulting, there's no longer an ownership of the idea. It doesn't become my idea. And people can sometimes get quite defensive or, or almost arbitrary about wanting to stick to their own idea. And in a marriage, especially one which is having challenges, that can be quite detrimental because as long as you're staying in that one place, there's no possibility for movement or for finding another point of view. So when you apply that principle of consultation to put it out there and then just let it be there as part of a process, it's a, it, you, you remove a lot of the self-interest if you can really do it that mm-hmm. way, which is quite useful. And many of the couples talked about letting go of the kind of almost adversarialism that we inculcate in our societies through government and through, you know, partisan systems. We kind of think that, oh, by definition, things have to be difficult and, and hard to work through. But when you really begin to listen, because really consultation requires a tremendous amount of listening, uh, the ideas seem to bring more unity. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the women you interviewed, Suzanne, uh, pointed out that one of these greatest tests to a marriage can be not just the big things like you were talking about, but little annoyances that can become really huge over time. How did they deal with just those little irritating things? Well, again, I was interested that sometimes these things required a shift of the way that they were thought about. Uh, one woman, Robin Gertz, who's currently living in Haiti and has spent most of her life uh, with her Buddhist husband, Stephen, in different parts of the world, uh, tells a little story about her frustration with him always wadding up his wet towel, and they always <laughs> lived in tropical places. And then she finally had a kind of an epiphany and realized after 25 years that things could be a lot worse than her having to pick up a towel mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, because she got to enjoy, she changes the way she thought about doing that particular task. And just the smallest household terms, many of the people, t- you know, talked about what would seem to be silly irritants, but a lot of it is how you see it. That doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have to work things out in that sense. And in fact, one of the g- fellows with a tremendous sense of humor, Bruce Filson, said, you know, <laughs> flowers and chocolate can go a ridiculously long way. <laughs> um, you talked earlier about the importance of spirituality um, in marriage and, and before marriage, but does that mean that, you know, you don't fall in love and have romance? And, and what about love and sex? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of a broad and yes-no question because The Baha'i teachings are very clear, as I said before, about the power of love. But several of the couples said that our idea of the sentimentality and romance that we maybe get from the society around us can, in fact, be quite blinding, so that 
I would say yes, people fell in love. I mean, mm-hmm. Jim Marta had said clearly, I fell in love with my husband, and he's a Persian man. Um, then they had to work out the cultural stuff. But so there was that element of falling in love, but I don't think it was being in the same... I don't think they were falling in love necessarily with a body or with an idea. Hmm. They were falling in love with the idea of spiritually committing to this person through all eternity, which is quite a different way of falling in love. You really have to be able to see, as Baha'u'llah tells us, the end in the beginning, which is uh, really a way that marriage is, is, is looking at another human being and having the confidence that with that person you will be able to grow together spiritually through the love that you gain from one another each day. So, yes, you can fall in love, but if you use that as the entire foundation for your marriage, you're probably in for challenges. Heather, one couple you talked with, the Barrows, spoke of the importance of a daily loving connection, and that seems like it would be something that we could easily overlook in our busy lives, especially where, you know, cases where husband and wife both work. How did they, uh, you know, put that into practice? Well, what they told me is that they got up or woke up at least every morning together and spent a good solid half an hour to 45 minutes saying prayers with one another, discussing the days that they were going to have, having coffee together and just touching base. I knew another couple who actually aren't, their story isn't in the book, but uh, they're friends in Arizona who did very much the same thing. I know for my husband and I, we pretty much try once a week at least to connect in terms of having dinner together and not talk about the things that, uh, you know, typically things like money or sex, or other areas that people say can be points of disunity, sometimes you have to take a sidestep from those and not beat them head on and look at them in a, the, all the challenges separately from just reconnecting with that good feeling or the strength of the spiritual connection that brought you together in the first place. And I think that's why a lot of the Baha'is who reported in the book talked about this very important element of prayer for them in their lives. There's nothing like praying with somebody whom you care for, and it doesn't necessarily have to be your spouse, but if it is your spouse, so much the better. Then there's often the huge challenge along those same lines of, you know, our busy lives of of raising children. You certainly would know that from having your own children. And that can put a lot of stresses on marriage. Um, what did you learn from the couples you spoke with about raising children and dealing with all that? Well, you know, interestingly for me, when I talked with my own parents who feature in the book, they told me that they never had an argument until the patter of little feet, and those little <laughs> feet happened to be mine. So I was, oh, really? And they don't argue a lot now, but Parvis and Jillian Monahead said the same thing, Rick Rick and Nahid Gordon both talked about uh, the significant differences that happen with child raising. And there's no doubt that you will have to consult a lot with your partner, preferably even in the courtship stage, about what your philosophy is in some ways. That's, that's a very good beginning point if you intend to have children, and many of us, of course, do. 
time management seems to be almost an important principle of marriage in that sense. Um, one of the things that Tandy in the Baha'i writings on, well, there are many um, things that Abu Baha specifically has talked about with respect to child raising. One of them is that we are neither to strike nor vilify a child. I love that passage because it reframes for me how I deal with my children, but it also brings a point of unity when my husband and I can consult about that. And many of the couples talked about that aspect of just having to build family activities into things that were important to them. Marilyn Smith, who is uh, with her husband, Barry, have been living for many years in Central America. They're originally from the States. They talked a lot about how it was to raise children in a different culture and, in, a, in effect, to create a new culture of the family. Hmm. Um, one of the things that um, can also pose a big test in a marriage, um, you touched on this just briefly, is financial issues. And is that one of those things that needs to be discussed before marriage? And if not, how did they deal with it after, afterwards if they had big financial issues? I honestly think that was quite a different element for many of the diff- of the couples. Uh, some felt it was important to kind of establish things right at the beginning. Others were muddling along and developing as they went through. Uh, some had kind of one person working outside the home and one working inside the home. All of them, all of the couples felt, I think, or almost all who talked frankly about this area, really emphasized the importance of both people in the couples having a sense of collaborative independence. In other words, that I think fights were more likely to come about if one felt that the other was disregarding their, their view or that they didn't have pocket money or those kinds of things. But some of the people also had endured times of relative poverty, either early in their marriages or through living in countries where there were low incomes or whatever. And several of them talked about the joy of struggling together to find creative ways to deal with financial issues together. I think that was the word that I kept hearing this word together. As long as the two couple, you know, the the two people were on the same page in terms of the consultative process about money, it seemed to help a lot. Um, As we mentioned earlier, these couples went through all kinds of struggles. I mean, they weren't just lucky marriages, including one couple who separated and still was able to reconcile. Now, how were they able to reconcile once they'd gotten to that point? That's a really interesting question. I think because both, in their particular case, I think both of them were amazingly willing to put aside any kind of past feelings of resentment and frustration and hurt and anger in, a, in rather a spiritual way and to move forward from the point they found themselves at in that moment, not, you know, you're not going to have a good marriage if you're always obsessing about the things that have been bad about the marriage in the past because then you're concentrating on things that can't grow positively. One of the prayers of the Baha'i faith, uh, it's called the Refresh and Gladden prayer, has a line in it, I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. If you're in a marriage and you're dwelling on the unpleasant things in that life, 
uh, you're not going to move forward very effectively. And I think one of the things that the couple, David and Belinda, were able to do was to reassess and to reconnect at a much deeper level than perhaps the original connection had been. And they had a reason to do it in addition. Um, they had a little girl, and that meant something very important to them. But they also were fortunate in that they had a mentor. And I think sometimes you don't want to be talking about uh, the challenges you're having in your marriage to everybody and their, you know, their aunt and uncle. But it can be very helpful to have a close friend who loves both of you and is willing to work with you to find a positive solution. But what? you sure can't think about how each other's been hurting each other over and over again because it goes nowhere. And uh, one of the things you touched on in your book, which seems to tie in with this, was courtesy. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, common courtesy. What are some examples of how they would put that into effect? Well, on that one, I, I'm thinking of a, a woman named Coral de Gomez, and I think it was her comment that made me think about this more. She was saying to me, you have to be more courteous to your family than to even people outside, you know, in your daily life. And I started thinking about the implications of that because, of course, most of us, I think, think of going home and kind of letting all of our darker side or our less advanced side show. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's called letting it all hang out or whatever. And certainly anybody who's ever seen me first thing in the morning would know that there's another side. But Mm -hmm. it's... um, What Coral and others talked about was just having that sense that the people who live with you the most and see see you the most and listen to you the most really ought to have your attention and respect, and you should treat them in a very courteous and kind and loving way because they're the ones that get to see most of you. And I thought it was a really good uh, lesson for me, and some others reinforced it in the book, that um, it's really helpful in your life if you can and are willing to make the effort for your loved ones that you would automatically do out of sheer politeness for a stranger. That is a beautiful way to look at it. Um, one of the things you, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, not all the couples were of the same religion. And, of course, that's something that can really um, rear its head in a marriage, uh, especially when it comes to raising children. Are you going to raise them in this faith or that faith? Did you run across that a good bit? I did to some degree, although uh, in many cases, one or the other couple, might have, a member of the couple, might have had a background that was quite different from the others. I think the most conspicuous challenge was the couple, uh, Arnold and Junior Perrault, uh, who are dear friends of mine and who live in Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, they have a really difficult challenge in that Junia uh, has HIV and so does their son from, from her first marriage. Anyway, uh, Junia had been a Baha'i, but she herself decided to become what's called, I guess, a born-again Christian. And so they have a very, she's a very strong fundamentalist Christian, and Arnold is a member of the Baha'i faith. And what was fascinating for me, seeing this couple in action and talking with them, was that uh, what they, I think, focused on to some degree was, uh, were the things that 
they did have in common. So, for example, both faiths really believe in the power of prayer. So they could pray together. And even though they, you know, Junior's prayers were taken from the Bible uh, predominantly and Arnold's from the Baha'i writings, there was no disunity in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I think every couple who faces this will have to find a way to recognize and love and respect each other's point of view. And if you care enough about another person, and that's what came through with Arnold and Junior, they really do genuinely love one another. And they don't want their marriage to be divided over religious issues, so they make the effort. Heather, one of the unique things about the Baha'i teachings on love um, and marriage is the need for the consent of the parents. Now, that would sound pretty old-fashioned to many in today's world and kind of archaic and controlling. But what is, what is that all about? I think, to put it shortly, it's about the unity of the family. Uh, the Baha'i perspective is not that just two people are getting married. Certainly they are, and they, there's, you, they have the choice in Baha'i teaching. But when you get married, you're not just marrying your, the person you're marrying. You are connecting to their history and their family. And I think people who are religious to some degree maybe are almost archaic, in, but in a very good way. Uh, I teach history some of the time, and I don't see history as being a bad thing or knowing where you come from as a bad thing. And the power of consent is that it gives the couple that sense that truly their parents are part of their love for one another and that you're building a family together. And even if you don't necessarily get want or need consent from your religious tradition, I don't know many couples who don't want to at least have a sense of the blessing of mm-hmm. their parents. So I think when we understand that consent is more a modern um, method by which we bring the blessing of the unity of family to the marriage, then it's easier to understand. Um, Another thing that might sound pretty old-fashioned to people in this day and age when everybody is, um, not everybody, but a lot of people are living together as very young people and and also not so young. Um, Why does chastity before marriage mean a lot when people feel like maybe experimenting helps them know the other person better? I wish I had a dollar for every time I'd had a conversation about that particular (laughs) question. You're absolutely right about the, uh, I suppose, the idea that's prevalent in society that pretty much anything goes in that area. But I do think it has something to do with the sense of loyalty that you get when you know that the person you're with uh, that way in in the most intimate sense is very much connected only to you. That isn't to say that you can't recover from the um, experimentation, and I'm sure many, many Baha'is and others do so. But I think the idea of chastity is, again, more than just a physical thing. I think it's a spiritual principle. And most of the Baha'i laws, in my understanding, are not there to be a punishment or a reprimand. They're there for protection, for, for the joy that 
practicing them can and will bring in that future that you can't necessarily anticipate. Chastity is, in some ways, just another way of protecting your heart so that you can commit it full on to the person you do marry. Now, that's entirely my interpretation. I'll stress it, and it's born of many conversations with people both single and married over many years. But I think there's something quite wonderful and mysterious about the reality that we in a religion are given some wonderful guidelines to practice. And we may not always understand their mystery, but if we try and practice them, we will in fact find that their benefits outweigh the minor frustrations that we can feel in the moment. Mm, That is a a new and wonderful way of looking at it. Heather, what were the overall final conclusions you came away with from kind of all these interviews, if you could maybe sum up a a couple of the main points that really stuck with you? I think the first one was you really have to recognize that most people in a marriage sometimes will not be feeling all passionate and wonderful about their spouse. They will question what was I doing at the time, Mm -hmm. and that those periods of time, you just have to be patient and wait and work. And the people who've been married a long, long time just said, you know, sometimes it's just going to be tough. Mm -hmm. Hang on, hang in, keep going, it will get better. And I thought that was really useful because sometimes you're in those times and you might be, you know, I don't know many marriages that don't encounter those times sometimes. And to be able to say to yourself, oh, you know, this too shall pass and we will grow and sometimes it could take a long time. The second thing I think that was a recurring theme was that you have to be able to laugh at yourself. People Uh uh, many, many times said, you know, it's his sense of humor that saved us or it's her ability to laugh and be joyous. I really liked hearing from so many couples that the role of humor and the ability to laugh together was so helpful to just seeking out and having times where you're laughing and you're happy with each other and your friends. That seemed to build some kind of real bond and connection. Uh, I think, thirdly, there was this definite kind of idea that if you can have some kind of spiritual commitment, you don't have to be the same religion, but to be able to center yourselves in finding guidance from a source that is uh, powerful. It's one of the reasons I opened the the chapter on love with that wonderful passage from, uh, from the Bible, from Corinthians, where... The definitions of loving are so much more than I think we casually think of them as being. So those three things, you know, just stay with it, laugh together, and pray and love together really seemed to be the central thing that had kept every one of these couples really committed to their each other. Heather, it has been a pleasure, and you have given us so much to think about and so many wonderful insights. We've well, been ta- I'm so delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you, especially you're, you're so far away, and isn't technology magic that we get to be able to have such a warm conversation? It is, in case people miss the beginning. Uh, Heather is in Quebec, and, and WLGI is right here in South Carolina. And again, we've been talking with Heather Cardin, author of Partners in Spirit, What Couples Say About Marriages That Work. And Heather, again, thank you for your insights and time. It was my great pleasure. Thanks for calling. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Susan Auday. 
former television news anchor at the NBC affiliate WIF in Columbia, South Carolina, with Baha'i author Heather Carden, who wrote the book Partners in Spirit, What Couples Say About Marriages That Work. This is a rebroadcast of the radio program Baha'i Bookshelf, produced by the Baha'i radio station WLGI in Hemingway, South Carolina. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Yeah.
song is Sean Gilmer.
down on the other side. It's like a living a bubble with no trouble and problems don't exist. I check on them, that ain't the case at all. It goes back to the time when I was very small. I didn't mind the size and age, my papa used to say. You can always look at the negative, but you should always live in the positive. So I try every day to live in that way.
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.